Good morning. It is good to be here. Even though we were planning on being out on the lake, it's good to be all together. Just turn around and look at all the people who are here. This is great to see so many faces here. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are so blessed, aren't we? I don't think I'm allowed to put water on the piano. <laughs> I might get in big trouble for that. <laughs> well, just I want you to start this morning by imagining something for me. Imagine. Imagine you were outside all day yesterday. You were cold. You were wet. Imagine you were walking, maybe, I don't know, hiking or working outside or something all day long, and you were hungry. And as your day came to a close and you're, you're cold and you're wet and you're hungry, you smell something cooking on the stove as you get near your house. Maybe something bubbling on the stove. Maybe it's soup a nice warm bowl of soup, or maybe it's um, beef stew or chili. Or Okay, you imagine what you would really wish it would be. You got it? Can you smell it? Can you just close your eyes and, mmm, that's what you want, a nice warm bowl of whatever that is. Okay, hold that thought. Hold that thought, and we're going to come back to that. But first, we're going to read Scripture. So uh, pull out a Bible if you would. If you didn't bring yours, just pull out a pew Bible. Turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 9 and read through verse 15. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 9. This is Jesus teaching the crowd, his disciples, his followers here. He says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." Friends, this is God's word for us today. God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you for your great, great love for each person here. We invite your spirit now to come and be our teacher, to open our ears so that we can each hear your voice speaking. And we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 
So Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 is describing life in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live as a child of God? And he's gone through all kinds of different ideas and thoughts and images. He started out with the Beatitudes, those who are blessed in this upside-down world. He's talked about being salt and light in the world. He talked about doing our good works in secret. You heard some about that last week. And here he's teaching his followers how to pray, what it looks like to be a child of God and how we get to talk to God as a child would with their parent. And he, he lays out a simple prayer or a simple pattern for prayer that we typically call the Lord's Prayer. And we see that in verses 9 through 13. And then there's this little tag at the end. He goes back. He goes back and explains one verse. Verse 13, we have the ending of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may be used to a few more words at the end of that, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That little doxology got added by Christians in the early years of Christianity. It was there by about 200, we know, because we have it written down somewhere. But that was a little add-on to what Jesus taught us here. He just ends it with, deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes back. All those ideas he's covered, there's one that he seems to think would be helpful for us to go back and revisit just in case we might have been tempted to kind of skip over it the first time. Verse 12 says, Forgive us our sins, or our debts, or our trespasses, depending on which translation you're using, as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh, that's the hard part, isn't it? Forgive us our sins. Yes, God. We're all in favor of that. As we forgive those who sin against us. Well, we can't take that part too literally, can we? <laughs> can we? I mean, that seems like asking a lot. Jesus seems to know what his listeners are thinking. He knows that we're a lot like those first listeners. So he goes back. He doubles back. In verse 14 and 15, he he reminds us again that he meant it. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. This is how the New Living Translation puts verse 15. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Huh. That one makes us pause, doesn't it? If we refuse to forgive others... Our Father will not forgive our sins. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like an IRS requirement, doesn't it? <laughs> Made me think of that, that clerk in Monsters, Inc. Anybody seen that? Roz, you know, she says, you didn't file your paperwork, <laughs> so you can't have your paycheck. Kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? We can almost picture a parent folding their arms and saying, you didn't eat your vegetables, so you don't get any dessert. Sorry, 
the way it is. Why would Jesus say something like that? Is this the kind of God that he is trying to reveal to us? Is he really saying that whether or not we forgive affects whether or not we're forgiven? Those are hard words. Well, maybe we're just taking them out of context. Let's see what the rest of the Bible has to say. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's Matthew 5, 7. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's Matthew 7, 2. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. That's Mark eleven twenty five. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. That's Luke 6, 37. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's Ephesians 4, 32. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.13. Hmm. Seems to be everywhere in the Bible. <laughs> this doesn't seem like something we can just kind of skip over, does it? If you refuse, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is always relevant, always challenging. It seems like no matter how many times we encounter this message about forgiveness, we always need it. It always pokes us. It always touches us. Forgiveness is, is where we live. It's always relevant. First, let's just talk about what it is and what it isn't, okay? First of all, it isn't, forgiveness isn't saying, it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying, you know, what you did, it really wasn't that bad. We're just going to pretend it never happened. That's not what I mean by forgiveness. Forgiveness is also saying, it doesn't matter. That, you know, by, let bygones be bygones. We're just going to, to just... Pretend it never happened. Forgiveness doesn't say uh, that the, the wrong that was done was inconsequential. Forgiveness is also not giving up on justice. Consequences still may need to be dealt with. Forgiveness is also not the same thing as trust. You've probably heard it said, forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. You can forgive someone, but you don't need to trust them unless they prove themselves trustworthy. So forgiveness is not any of those things, but what forgiveness is, is forgiveness is the, the, my giving up my desire to see that person hurt like they hurt me. Forgiveness is letting go of my desire to get even and the bitterness and the hatred and the anger that go with that. 
Forgiveness is giving it to God and saying, vengeance is yours. It's not mine. I am not going to orient my life around seeing this person suffer for what they did. I'm going to leave that to you, God. It's letting go. We all know forgiveness is important, right? We know that, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy. Recently, scientific studies are catching up with the, uh, the concepts that the Bible teaches about forgiveness. Over the last few years, studies, been taking, studies have been taking place around the concept specifically of forgiveness. Recent research shows that holding on to anger increases your chances of a heart attack, as well as cancer, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and other illnesses. Interesting. Forgiveness boosts your self-esteem, studies show, and lowers your blood pressure and your heart rate. Forgiveness also helps you sleep better at night and boosts a positive change in your attitude. Studies have found that those who forgive no longer had feelings of anxiety and depression and felt better about themselves. Forgiveness has remarkable healing power in the lives of those who utilize it, says psychiatrist Richard Fitzgibbons. Robert Enright, who's a professor of educational psychology at the University of Wisconsin, says, my biggest surprise is how powerful forgiveness actually is for emotional healing. I figured it would make a difference. But usually in the social sciences, our results are quite modest and mixed. For the most part, our findings have been very strong and have withstood the test of time. Forgiveness is important. We know it. We know it. But it doesn't always make it easy. But we know, don't we, that when we forgive, it sets us free. There's a story about a farm boy who was angry at a neighboring farmer who had hurt his feelings. And the boy tried to think of some way that he could get even. The plan he arrived at was this. Early one morning, he rode his bicycle all the way into town to purchase a bag of seed, a special kind of seed. It was called Johnson grass seed. And this kind of grass is the worst, most invasive kind of grass. And it's almost impossible to pull out. I think I had some of that in one of my flower beds in the last house I lived in. It had roots like this long. So Johnson seed, anyway. So one morning, uh, very early, he rode into town, bought this bag of Johnson grass seed, and secretly planted it in his neighbor, farmer's richest bottom land. And so the Johnson grass came up, and the neighboring farmer fought that grass until he died. But in the meantime, the boy grew up, too, and he fell in love with the daughter of that farmer. They got married. When the farmer died, he gave the farm to his daughter, And so that young man spent the rest of his life battling Johnson grass, the seeds that he had planted. That's what happens when we don't forgive. 
It's like planting weeds in our hearts, in our lives. It does more damage than we could ever anticipate. And when we do forgive, it sets us free. Jesus is saying here something really important here in Matthew 6. He's saying that how we relate to others and how we relate to God are all of one piece. That how we relate to others can never be separated from how we relate to God. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no such thing as just me and God. We got it all good, just me and God. It's a private matter. You hear people say this sometimes. My faith is a private matter. It doesn't concern anybody else. Jesus is saying here, no, no, no. How we relate to others and how we relate to God is all mixed together. It's all one piece. And lest we are tempted as we read this to make God small and mean, lest we are tempted to make God a vegetables before dessert kind of person or a petty rule keeper when he's just the opposite, Jesus puts this all in the context of love and relationships. Listen to how the message version puts verses 14 and 15. It says this, In prayer there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Go back to that soup, that stew, whatever that bowl of yumminess was that you were imagining. Imagine someone coming towards you with a bowl of that, and you get to have it, but in order to take it, you need to put out your hand, right? You need to put out your hand to hold that bowl of nourishing, warm food. If you refuse to open your hand, you can put it out. But imagine trying to take hold of a bowl of soup on your fist. It's not going to work out very well, is it? You're not going to end up with a very satisfying meal. Jesus is saying here, God's trying to offer us a big, warm bowl of forgiveness, but in order to receive it, we have to have an open hand. Forgiveness is an open hand. If we're opening our hand to to give forgiveness, we can also receive it. But if we close our hand and refuse to give forgiveness, we're going to have an awfully hard time, an impossible time, receiving forgiveness as well. Forgiveness is an open hand. Asking God to forgive us without forgiving others is like asking our hand to be open without being open. You you can't do it. Jesus is saying it's all tied together here. It's all one piece, and it's all set in the context of a loving relationship with, with God. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say God will forgive you or God will not forgive you. He says, your heavenly Father 
will forgive you. Your father will forgive you. He's putting this again in the context of relationship, of a parent to a child, a deeply loving and committed relationship. He's putting this whole chapter, this prayer and how we live as kingdom people in that context. This whole chapter so far has been a discussion about our human tendency to to try to make a formula or a show out of what really should be a relationship with a parent who loves us so, so much, loves us enough to die for us. So when we try to boil this forgiveness thing down to a transaction, like vegetables and dessert, we're way off track. Forgiveness is an open hand. To, to have it open and to receive requires having it open to give. There's a lot to forgive, isn't there? In our world, in our lives, there's a lot to forgive. The news this week has brought us images that just break our hearts. The funerals have begun for those nine people killed at a Methodist church in Charleston, South Carolina, during Bible study, of all things. There's a manhunt that's still going on north of us in the North Country in New York for one of two escaped murderers, the other shot dead. The fear surrounding that for all those neighbors. This week we heard about the possibly coordinated terror attacks on three different continents. So much going on there. And then there's the Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage and the outpouring of emotion on both sides of this issue. Let me take this opportunity to just echo what Mike said earlier. This is our opportunity as God's people to really season our conversation with salt there is anguish on both sides of this issue. Actually, I should say all sides of this issue because this is not a two-sided issue. It's complicated. And we find ourselves now where the position of the United Methodist Church is now different than the position of our country. Strange waters we're swimming in now, isn't it? I know that there are deeply felt emotions all around this And our world is watching us as God's people. Our world is watching us to see if the words that we Christians talk about love are really authentic. So as Mike said earlier, let's be disciples who show love in how we communicate. There was this incident in the Gospels where the disciples came across some people who they experienced not uh, obeying God. And they said to Jesus, can we call down fire upon them? (laughs) Let's call down fire upon them. And Jesus said, no, no, no. That's God's job. There's been a lot of calling down fire on both sides, hasn't there, on all sides of this issue. I think 1 Peter gives us a great model of how to live as strangers in a strange land Go home and read 1 Peter this afternoon. It is so relevant for the times in which we live 
talks about always being ready to speak about the hope that we have within us, but doing so with respect and gentleness so that we don't cause the name of Jesus to be, um, to be injured. And let's really pour ourselves into loving and serving our neighbors. That's what will make our love authentic. If we pour ourselves out in service to our neighbors. Well, life is full of challenges. We need to forgive and we need to be forgiven. None of us can escape that reality. Thomas Lane Butte says, Forgiveness is a superhuman act. It requires a source of strength that we do not have on our own. We know that some offenses are easily forgiven. Others we can put into perspective. We may get away with nothing more than a slight scar, but some offenses are so deep and so real that forgiveness hardly seems humanly possible. Jesus' words here are not just for petty, picky people who make a habit of holding a grudge. Jesus' words here are also for those who have experienced some Mount Everest offense which threatens to overshadow all of life. You know what I'm talking about. It's those who labor under an offense that is larger than life, that is too big to carry, and too serious to turn loose. In your mind, you know that, that keeping it will not resolve the problem, but you're so glued to it that it would take a superhuman act to let go. How do we forgive in situations like that? How do we do it? How can Jesus tell us that we have to do this? How is it possible? One of the most powerful prayers in the midst of suffering that I've read was uncovered from the horrors of Ravensbrück concentration camp. Ravensbrück was a concentration camp built in 1939 by the Nazis for women and children. And over 90,000 people perished there. I can't even grasp that number. Corey Ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place, was imprisoned there. This prayer was found near the clothing of a dead child. This is what it says. It was written by one of the inmates in Ravensbrook. Oh, Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits we have borne be their forgiveness. How? How can we get to a point where we could pray something like that? That's superhuman. 
when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, friends, this is the key. He's not just piling a giant to-do list that none of us can accomplish on our shoulders. When he tells us to forgive monumental things, like this prayer forgives, he's giving us the power to do it. He's saying, in the Christian life, life in the kingdom of God makes it possible to do things that we could never do on our own power. It makes it possible to forgive things we could never forgive on our own. Jesus isn't saying here, forgive your enemies and good luck with that. He's saying, look what the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a child of God can do. You can forgive those who have wounded you, not by your own power, but by the power of God. Look what you can do when the Holy Spirit is working within you. You can love your enemies. You can pray for those who persecute you. God's power makes it possible. So when we read this passage and we hear Jesus saying, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. We can read that. You can forgive other people when they sin against you. And you can receive the forgiveness of your loving Heavenly Father and live in a relationship with Him that is not clouded by unforgiveness. God sets us free to forgive. What we so easily read as bad news, oh man, I gotta forgive, is really meant to be good news. It's really meant to be good news. The power of God in our lives sets us free to forgive. It is so easy for us to forget that. So often we try to paint a picture of the Christian life as we gotta do this and we gotta do that. And it's all these hard things. But what Jesus is saying is you can do this. You can do that by the power of God. The Holy Spirit sets us free to do things we could never do on our own. To reach out an open hand and offer forgiveness to someone who has no right to receive it. Someone who doesn't deserve it at all. Come to think of it, that's all of us, isn't it? None of us deserve God's love and forgiveness. When we realize that, it helps us open our hands. Imagine what the world would be like if all the followers of Jesus made forgiveness a habit. Imagine what the world would be like if we took him at his word that his power will enable us to forgive. That we can make forgiving such a part of our lives that it comes as naturally as opening our hands. Imagine what our world would be like if we let him pour his forgiving power into us and it flowed out 
from here. Imagine what this world would be like if those of us in this room didn't leave this place if we had some unfinished business here. If there were people in this room that we needed to go up to and say, I hope you'll forgive me, or I forgive you, that we could open our hand to. Imagine what this world would be like if when we did leave this place, phone calls were made and letters were sent and doors were knocked on. Imagine what this world would be like if we trusted the power of the Holy Spirit, if we said, God, I don't even want to forgive this person, but help me want to. If we said, God, I don't know how to forgive this person, but you do, so make it happen in my life. Imagine what this world would be like if we didn't see forgiveness as a one-time act but we knew it was a daily rhythm, a daily fight, a daily struggle, or a daily joy to see God at work doing something superhuman through us. What would our world say about God? What would our world say about God if all of us followers of Jesus made forgiveness a habit? They might just come running to God to be set free. Doesn't that sound good? Let's pray together. God, thank you for painting this clear picture for us, this clear picture of what life in the kingdom can really be like. That's what we want, God. We want your power, your spirit, your presence to be so at work in us that you make it possible to do the impossible. And Lord, we know that forgiveness is one of the hardest things for us. But we know that nothing is impossible with you. So God, today, we are claiming your promises. Today, we are claiming your presence in our lives. Today, we are claiming your power to forgive. And I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this place. That even before we go from this place, relationships would be restored. Hands would reach out to someone next sitting next to them or across the aisle or across the room, forgiveness would be given and received. God, do your healing work in us today. And God, make us new. Make us able as we leave here to live the truth that you've given us that freedom in Christ is available to all of us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.